forgive me for running off to find the one thing. I Hello and welcome to episode 197 of Washed Up Emo Podcast. I am Tom Owen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome actor and musician Michael Markey. You know Michael from his acting roles in the Vampire Diaries to the series Project Blue Book. His most recent album, Grave Racer, was released in early 2020. Michael is a huge fan of emo, punk, hardcore, and screamo. My favorite quote from him was fitting to many that have a love of something that's not their job, and hopefully they can do it to help others. He said, I'm a musician with an acting problem. Both are great, and it was an honor to have Michael be a part of this podcast. So if you're a fan of him or not, or know too much or not enough, you will enjoy this episode. Thank you all the Patreon supporters out there. You make this podcast happen. Everything you do and support leads to the support of the podcast, and I can continue to pay the servers and everything else. So if you want to support, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 197 Washed Up Emo podcast with actor and musician Michael Malarkey. Yeah, baby's a Rico with the vitamin C. I saw you gallop the pace and crash into me. I got a switchblade love like I was 17. I felt the savagery and I burst at the seams and I was ready to die. I felt my ribcage creak and then the dove of peace. Michael, it's Tom. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? Not bad. Yeah, I figured this would probably be best to do it this way. You sound, send you you sound beautiful. Thanks. You too, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I barely know anything about you. So this is totally a stranger to stranger interview, which is cool. Um, Most of these I, are, to be honest. I mean, a lot of yeah. times they're like a friend of a friend is like... Um, Tom wants to talk to you, you know, and then we'll talk and then, uh, you know, so it's, uh, no, no sweat. I just thought it was, you know, cool that you were following and we're down with some cool bands. And I think that's the, the fun thing that I don't think people realize is like how deep this thing goes and music and, and, and in these different places. And, um, you know, I just noticed that you were into some cool stuff and I thought it'd be fun to chat and you're making your own stuff. That's right. Yeah. I mean, when I when I first started, I, I was I didn't play guitar at all. I pl- I was a vocalist. I started my own band. It was kind of very influenced by this whole scene, and um, then uh, joined another band called Shady Side, which was directly influenced by the whole screamo scene, like bands like Fugazi and Braid and the Drowning Man. Um, Did you just say Drowning Man? That's yeah. It, that's, it's a that's rare, a rarely Vermont, plugged. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm from Vermont. Those guys. Oh, really? Yeah, we're from Burlington. No shit. That's funny. Yeah, I got a funny story about uh, what's his name? Brody? No, Kyle. Uh, Simon. Simon. Yeah. So I was working in this record store called Dingleberries in Yellow Springs, Ohio, a mom and pop uh, little record joint, and um, I'd just been to Crazy Fest. Uh, I don't I don't remember which year it was, but Drowning Man had played. I think it was the year that Cave In played and threw down on their closing set with like Crossbearer and a bunch of other heavy Hell numbers, yes. which no one was expecting, and everyone went apeshit, <laughs> um, including me. But um, yeah, I, basically, I heard the band had broke up, 
And all of a sudden, he walked into my record store in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And I was like, holy shit, I swear that's the Drowning Man dude. Um, and he just looked kind of super bummed, was kind of going around the shelves, like flipping through stuff. And I had to say something because I was like buzzing. I was straight up into this scene at the time. You know, I was going to as many shows as I could. How old were you? Sleeping in my car. I mean, I was probably 20, around 20, I want to say. And what year my, was this? Oh, God. Make me do math, man. I know. See, uh, uh, <clears throat> I can't probably do it. Probably so 2002. Okay. 2002 to 2004, sometime around then. I don't know. I don't know. Whenever, whenever, because they broke up and then they reformed, didn't they, for a bit? Yep. Um, but anyway, he comes into the store. I have a quick chat with him, and I, he's like, "Man, yeah, my, I broke up my relationship, and my b- band broke up in the same week." And I was like, well, "What are you doing down here?" And he's like, "I'm taking a few classes at the college, um, you know, Antioch University in Yellow Springs. I don't know if you've heard of it, but." I have. Kind of a, yeah, kind of a liberal arts yeah. college, very famous more in the 60s through the 80s. Um, and unfortunately, on its way out, I mean, it's a big source of community for the, for the town. It's where I grew up, Yellow Springs. Um, anyway, I digress. He, so he was like staying in some hotel down near Xenia and uh, was taking some classes. And I was like, I, I asked my dad because he teaches it. I was like, look him up. He's like, I didn't find him in there. I was like, I wonder, I always wondered if he was fucking lying to me. <laughs> so you don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know. I mean, I, I didn't ask him to like stalk the dude, but I was just kind of curious, like if my dad, if he was going to be in the same building as him or whatever, you know, I was a super fan of this kind of music and especially bands like that, like uh, the ones that like, threw everything together like converge and drowning man coalesce you know all that stuff i mean how great is their title of one of the records you know busy signal at the suicide hotline come on oh yeah killer (laughs) you can't get better than that no how did you find these bands how did you kind of gravitate to this type of you know you know rock and Mm. sort of scene because it's not you know it wasn't easy to find yeah, I, I mean, I think it, a lot of it does stem back to working in the record store. You know, it was my second job after high school. I was very young, but very into music. And at the time, I was more into punk and even punk ska. You know, I was I was banging to all that back in the day, like late 90s, you know. Um, but my first real passion for music was was punk rock, like... Op Ivy, Rancid, Minor Threat, Fugazi, the DC hardcore scene, and skateboarding, and graffiti, and that whole thing, like freshman, sophomore year of high school, where I was just always the new kid, misfit, I was shy as fuck, I didn't, you know, trust anyone, <laughs> mm-hmm. until, I, until I met the other people like me, I suppose, you know, people who didn't quite fit in, but had artistic interests and um you know didn't really want to play sports um and you know finding those people was huge and to kind of i suppose empowering myself to become who who i still am today i suppose you know society of outcasts that find some uh, some uh, beauty in the suffering <laughs> 
Yeah. And then, you know, what about going to shows? Like what were some of those first ones that you were, you know, checking out either if it's unfortunately the Scott era or maybe later, I'm joking. And then, you know, <laughs> no, the, I, I love suicide machines, by the way, that's the like less than Jake and suicide machines. Like if Less they want to do a little was my scum. first show. Really? Okay, there yeah. we go. First gig. And uh, Suicide Machine is probably the second. I mean, that first record of theirs was, was <laughs> so unbelievably good. good. And it still stands up. I mean, I've, I've if I rarely work out, which doesn't happen much being a dad, let's be honest. <laughs> um, I, I put on some old shit like that where I do remember the words. And, you know, I, I, I feel like we spend all of our lives trying to reclaim that feeling when we listen to m new music, you know? And I feel like right now is a really interesting time for this new wave of, of this kind of music. Um, you know, there's some really interesting stuff coming out. Like, I mean, I was listening to the Stay Inside record, listening to the Hot Mulligan record, and the, you, you get these moments where you get that shiver yeah right, from back in the day and you're like fuck they're tapping into it and and it really it it i don't know it's brought me a lot of joy this year specifically like feeling like there's there's some homage being paid to what i felt so connected to back in the day that's funny you mentioned stay inside um the i work i used to work with the guitar player and no he gave me his record maybe in 2017 and it happens a lot with washed up emo people send in demos and stuff. And like over the years, like Foxing or other bands, I've been like, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing. Like, you know, and I'll push it. And it, it was like, I was so skeptical, you know, I was like, Oh God, a coworkers band. I mean, we worked in, <laughs> we worked at a music label. We worked at Warner music group at the time. And he's like, Oh, check out my band. And I listened to it in that same feeling. I go, Oh my God, they've tapped mm. into it. There's something in here that if I was 20, and at college, and this came in the mail at the radio station, I would have flipped out. And Totally. That, I don't, is, there's, I mean, we don't have to get really weird, but like, there's something cosmic about that DIY or that ethos that kind of happens that, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain to someone if they can't hear it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think it, you know, there's this catch-22 with the sound in the studio, and everybody wants everything crystal clear nowadays, but I find myself drifting back to stuff that's a little less perfect, you know? And I feel like what some of these bands are tapping into, and I love the record setter record as well, yes, which really tapped me into the era of like funeral diner and all that shit. Um, satia. Um, and, uh, the, the, the kind of messy around the edges it feels like it's live but it sounds great at the same time um has, has just been much more rewarding i mean you, you hear the soul of it these are people that are passionate about the music they're making not about getting songs on playlists you know and that's just been the name of the game for me lately especially because there's all this pressure from everybody in the industry like write more content, make it shorter, do this, do that, you know, fuck them. And when I hear records like this or the Nova Sclera record or whatever, I'm mm -hmm. like, yes, th this shit is still out there. It's still raw. I love the Couch Slut record, mm -hmm. which was just fucking brutal. And, uh, you know, I, I thought this stuff was, wasn't happening in 2020. And I feel like I went down this rabbit hole again. And um, it's, it's been really rewarding. I mean, I'm, 
I could go on and on. But no, it's, it's, it's important to focus on the positives. And I knew we'd get some good fucking music out of this crazy year, you know? Right. I think it's, I think it's always happening. And that's kind of my like mantra of like when I check my email or, you know, a random person will come up to us when we used to do the DJ night in New York City for nine years. It was always like, hey, check out my band. And we'd listen to it. And then the next month we would play it. And those ended up being bands and friends. And you make these sort of like real connections. And it's great to know that there's still basement shows. It's great to know you and I can't go anymore. You know, they won't let me mm-hmm. in the door because I'm old and you, <laughs> you're, you're bed to early with the kids. So, but that is still there. And I think there's something to the sound of that chaos or that uncertainty in a song versus pop that I always struggle with because Mm. it's like this word, um, which I'm going to ask you about, you know, is like, it's associated with clean, perfect, uh, fit. And to me, it's chaotic, unorganized and beautiful. So Mm. do you feel that way about the word, emo and sort of like do you remember the, the the first time you heard it i mean i agree with you but it's it just like anything it's it's a word and words are devices you know they're used to point to pigeonhole to um classify and uh, we use them all the time and mm-hmm. in 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 less categorical ways than that um but we're always at the mercy of other people's interpretation of said word um, or whatever word. So uh, um, anyway, we can go super philosophical with that. But I, I always am very wary of words and careful with words. And um, I suppose that's why I love songwriting, too, is, is you get to delicately place these things together in a way that invokes emotion um or whatever but also subtle like yes. you, you could have a reference in there that's a little it's not it's not on the nose like what we talked about at the beginning it's not just like in your face it's it's a little bit you kind of have to listen to it five times well Maybe. it also encourages the, the audience participation right and what i love about this style of music is the obscurity of some of the vernacular you know i mean like the stuff i mean I'll, I'll never forget hearing i guess when i first heard the word emo was when I started listening to Cursive and Bright Eyes. So in high school, 98, 99 is when I discovered Domestica mm-hmm. and when I discovered Fevers and Mirrors. And it was kind of a mind-blowing moment. Because, um, you know, you're first dealing with all that bullshit with the opposite sex or whatever, however your boat floats right (laughs) and uh that other person the other in your life and when that fucks up you you do seek songs that aren't just complete bummers but they have this angst to them and i guess cursive domestica was exactly what i needed in that situation as well as fever and mirrors for the more feverish mirror days (laughs) yeah I mean, that, that wreck cursives domestica and probably Matthew sweets girlfriend. If a girl broke up with me, those were the two records. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I I guess it was around that time and it, you know, it was kind of more of a a thing like calling someone a a goth, I suppose, Mm -hmm. you know, it started off as more of a, uh, specific pigeonhole, you know, you're Connor Oberst, (laughs) right? (laughs) you know, 
Um, and then it became this really broad thing, and now it's become such a loose net. I don't even know what the hell kids think is emo anymore, you know. It's just become a, a derogatory, perfunctory term, I, I suppose, you know. Yeah, like it's, saying punk. Yeah, know, exactly. It's it's punk, it's punk is anymore. metal, the same thing. Like, is it, yeah. is it Iron Maiden? Is it Cannibal Corpse? Is it something else? But I think at the, at the root of it, though, you know, coming from the word emotional or emotive, um, it makes sense. You know, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a justified term for this kind of music, I, I suppose. It's and, and hard on sleeve. It's, it's emotional. And also the word screamo itself is bastardized, but that originally was that what you were talking about with either Seisha um, or those other bands where it was just like this absolute chaos um, on stage. Yeah, and I think that was, you know, segueing from when I started talking about the record store days, you know, it started off with punk and hardcore, and I don't remember, I think it was the listening station at the record store got Jane Doe on it. Nice. And it was, for me, as, you know, I was a graffiti artist for a while, not a good one, you know, got busted and then decided maybe I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was always attracted to album art, you know, as I think a lot of people are. But um, I always felt like, yeah, don't judge a book by its cover, but fuck you if you can't make a good cover for a good book. <laughs> mm -hmm. So so I always gravitated towards interesting images on covers, you know, and Jane Doe, I mean, wow, incredible. I mean, and I, and I basically put the headphones on and started that concubine, and uh, holy shit, blew my mind. Blew my mind. I was like, this is the music in my head half the days of the fucking year. Um, and I just, it just blew my mind. And I went completely down the rabbit hole of, of whatever kind of music that was to me then, you know, and it, for me, it, I kind of did a lot of backtracking. So I was into Fugazi, got into Converge, went down the rabbit hole with all the screamo bands, you and I, Hot Cross, started going to shows basement shows there was this place legion of Ju legion of doom in columbus that had loads of crazy magic bullet level playing bands coming through and that that was my real introduction to the the scene of, of because you meet people from out of town you know you see that there's this common thing going it's not just an isolated incident um and that that that's always cool when you find that what you connect with is actually bigger than what you thought it was. What were those rabbit holes like? Was it, you know, trading stuff with friends? Was it the record stores? What was some of the, or was it the distro at Lee? Yes. Doom? So, um, a lot of it was, you know, you, you, you find those friends, you drift into, each other's lives somehow and you start sharing music i mean playing in the band was huge so mm -hmm. i i basically was part of another band that i started up in high school and then my favorite local band was called shady side which sounded like this and this is right when i was getting into this kind of music and i was like these guys are fucking dope and i saw them play once with their singer and the guitarist like got bashed in the face his head was bleeding during the whole set and i thought it was pretty badass Anyway, I see them again, like a week later at a different show, and the singer's not there. Another show, no singer. And I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> so I, 
I'm I get up the guts to approach the guitarist. I'm like, yo, hey, Chip, right? I noticed, I, I couldn't help but notice that you guys were a five piece before and uh, now you're four. And uh, I basically just hounded him and begged him to audition to sing Scream in the band. And he put me off for ages. And I was like, oh, come on, at least come see my band play. You can see what I, what I, what I do, what the vibe is. He came to the show. And, um, you know, I managed to squeeze my way into a rehearsal room with them. And we rehearsed. And then, I knew, anyway, I got into the band. And a lot of their influences were some of the stuff that I'd been discovering. And before then, before meeting the band, I was just basically working at that record store, doing all the special orders. I'd buy everyone's used CDs. They'd come in. Um, and, you know, the boss, my boss was this old recovering hippie dude. And he was like, I don't know what's popular anymore. Just if you could find stuff, source things and see what's going on, that'd be awesome. And I was young and ambitious, and, you know, for me, it was a passion. So I just mm -hmm. basically read every single magazine on the shelf. I read all the liner notes to see what bands were thanking what bands. I did as much research as I could on, on the ones I thought were good. And um, just went down various genres, genre rabbit holes, you know. And I've always had that cross-genre uh, passion for music. Like, if, for me, if it's good, it's good. And right. I, I, I know, you know, at least for me, from my perspective, within a couple songs, whether it's something that people, I think, will tap into. I um, love your story about Jane Doe. I mean, that the you know the hardcore band Hopes Fall? Of course, yeah, I've seen them play several times. Yeah. So Ryan, the, one of the guitar players, the original... Um, uh, with with Josh Ryan went to the same school I did and I he had a snapcase shirt on I was a sophomore he was a freshman I jumped on his back I did not even know who he was and I said huh. hey we're going to be friends we're going to be a we're going to be in a band come up to my room I want to play you converge and I played him the saddest day and yes. this is before hopes fall and mm -hmm. it was just so much fun going down that trail with someone and not being alone and being able to, you know, oh, hey, hey, I read uh, in AP that this band's coming out and they're, they're on this label or, you know, it was just that, you know, you said earlier, finding people, it was like you thought you were alone and you're like, oh my God, there's all these people. And then the tours were kind of on top of it. Did you feel that, that you were, like you talked about people coming in and out of your life? Um, did it, did some of them... Um, resonate more than others? Was there a story maybe of someone that got got you into something that you didn't expect? Hmm. Well, because it was a college town, I mean, for me, 100%, a lot of it came down to the various random clientele at the record store. Where right. You get people talking about, excitedly about random shit. Like, you, you get loads of people who are into the whole jam band scene mm -hmm. down there, because it's a hippie town. You get people that are banging into bluegrass, into country, who can't come in and can't stop talking about John Prine. So I, I, I found myself like overwhelmed by the, the choice. But there's, because it was a college town, you get all these kooky college kids coming through and um, special ordering stuff like Godspeed You Black Emperor or um, Sigur Rose before they blew up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Unwed Sailor, Unwound, stuff like that, where I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I obviously had to investigate, especially if I saw someone was like, obviously, you're, you're, the way you dress 
emanates something. So for me, as a young kid, 17, 18 years old, I'm looking up to these college kids going, man, that guy's got a rad coat on. I wonder what he listens to. And, you know, he's into Bauhaus. So I start going down that rabbit hole for a bit. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. it was just incredible. And we, it used to be something that we all would do for music connection is go down to the record store. And um, sadly, it's it's just it's it's not going away. But the culture of it is restricted to a lot of online conversations. Right. I don't think people go and chat too much unless it's one of them little stores that still, God bless them, stands somewhere, you know. Right. Yeah. There's this new record store called Limited to One in, in New York City. And a friend opened it and it's super, super small, but they have this little emo section, um, which is always funny. He was always asking me, like, is there enough cool stuff in there? Like, what am I missing? Or he tells <laughs> me about something. And it's just as you're in there, you're right. Someone randomly walks in, picks up a record. Maybe you overhear a conversation. I just I love that back and forth that uh, the happy accident. And it's almost like you were in the epicenter of that happy accident because, of course, they're going to go to the record store. That's right. And so many, I mean, I spent almost all of my money on used records pretty much when I was working. I just couldn't help it. I was, it was staying, I was at my parents' house still, and I just collected <laughs> shitloads of music. Um, but yeah, the, speaking of stories, I, I remember one when I went and saw City of Caterpillar in Columbus, who were, have always been one of my favorites of, of that era and I'll tell you what. So they, they played, and opening for them was a band called Murder in the Red Barn, which was, I don't know if you ever heard of Managra. Or, no. Oh, so this is a crazy little strain. I can't remember where they're from. I want to say Virginia or something. Managra, Hero of a Hundred Fights, uh, was a subsequent band with that collective. And then this singer of this band, Murder in the Red Barn, is going on, and Chip whispers in my ear, dude, that's the singer from Managra. So... uh Shady side, our band was influenced a little bit by Minagra. Anyway, it was a cool moment. Our friend Danielle's there with us at the show, and we're talking to the band afterward. They have nowhere to sleep, so she offers up her her house. So City of Caterpillar comes back to Danielle's house. We all order pizza. We're smoking joints and shooting basketball hoops in the backyard. <laughs> and I remember just being a surreal moment, and. My buddy Chip asks, um, I can't remember his name, the main singer guy, um, guitarist. Uh, so, man, you guys just write these like super long, proggy, fucking screamo songs. Like, how do you write them like like that, like that long? And he's and he answers, we just don't know how to stop them. <laughs> we just keep playing. I love that. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we, we, I suppose the lesson there, in a way, is there's this real mystification of, of the art, of the, the work, of the yada yada, the pretentiousness of it all. And at the end of the day, it's, we're all just people scraping by, trying to do something that means something, trying to keep fucking community together. And the more people I meet from... A-listers all the way down to the bottom. Um, you gravitate towards those people that just want to fucking make good shit. 
Right. And I felt like there were so many of these guys that come through in bands and you could spot them a mile away when they weren't like that, when they're just fucking dicks or they're just scenesters, you know. And um, but an overwhelming amount of the bands that we saw or hung with or played with when we toured were just were fucking awesome. We're just great people. You know, it's, it's I, I feel blessed of, that that was that was the case. Right. Know? It was more of like I, I, I love that you talked about sort of like seeing it because I try to explain that to some people. Like I'm like, I don't it's not a pretentious thing. It's more of just you can see the drive and it's more of a they they're they're doing not saying like they're actually mm. doing it. They're making a record. They're going on tour. They're putting out a zine. Maybe it's not the best scene, but they did it. I mean, mm -hmm. guys that did zines now are probably writers at magazines or, you know, doing other things or authors. It's just like you got to start somewhere. So it's like instead of saying that they're doing it, I've always gravitated to that creativity. I can, and I just you're when you say you sense it, I'm like, I sense it from someone. I'm like, they're they're creating. This isn't right. because they have to. They yeah, were not, not, not because. Yeah, they're they're um, they're doing this because they 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 want to um and it isn't there isn't any other reason yeah i mean i was just flipping through randomly the touch and go zines and stuff today um just thinking about having a chat and i i'm struck by how fucking just brutally honest and raw they are you know the writing and all of these like you fucking dick blah 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 you know they're so honest it's like twitter yeah. And I feel like I feel like that real shit is 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 actually being imitated online. You know, I, I think online has a potential to be a, a, such a punk rock way to govern, to self govern. You know, it's being misused dreadfully. But um, I guess it made me kind of make a weird connection when I was looking at those zines, thinking, yeah. you know, people people are celebrating this kind of brutal honesty right now. People that are willing to stand up and go, hey, fuck you, um, in a way that's productive. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is, I mean, there's, there's shit ways to do it. You know, I don't believe in stone throwing for the sake of stone throwing, you know. But it was. Those zines were, you know, the, the op-ed or the people talking about the scene. I mean, that was, it was almost like... You, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on a ranch now. So there's like a horse. And if you don't let out the horse enough, it goes nuts when you do. So if you mm. only get to do once a month, you know, that zine, you've got a lot to say. That's right. Yeah. A lot of heat in there. A lot of heat. <laughs> what about some other, I love you listing off level plane. I love you listing off magic bullet. Why does that time period in that era resonate still for you today? Mm, good question. You know, I, I'm thinking there's got to be a connection here with having young kids. This need to have my eardrums spattered again. <laughs> um, no, but I'm serious in a way, I think, because I only started coming back to listening to this kind of music roughly around the time I had my first son. And I don't know if that's some kind of weird psychic stellar alignment thing, but you know, when you do have kids, you have to dip back into the past, you know, um, you end up having to look in the mirror every day and think about how you can do better because you're always behind when you're raising kids. 
you're always they're always 10 steps ahead of you because their brains are working 10 times as fast and um i feel like I just, I feel like there's a connection there and I don't know why, but I, I feel like the, the chaos makes sense, more, more sense to me now. I feel like I, can, <laughs> I need to harness that chaos and this music has always empowered me and as emotional or whatever as it is, I've, it's always brought me to a more transcendental height of awareness, I suppose, if we can go pure hippie. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it makes my spine bristle gives me goosebumps you know at, at its most intense you know brings tears to your eyes sometimes it's earth shattering you know and uh, I, I feel like you're constantly dealt with the you're constantly dealing with these intense um situations with kids and you don't get that release yourself and for me stepping into the car saying hey baby i need five I'm going to go for a quick drive and I'll put on a record. <laughs> I literally put on a record and it's usually something in this vein of everything we're talking about. So I can feel that empowerment going, yeah, I am a warrior of my own emotions. And um, that's honest, the God's honest truth. So I, I feel like it's become this empowering tool, not just music. It's something that I put on. It's, a, it's an outfit I slip on. I get a, I get to feel that again. I get to re-energize from it, and it, it gives me great strength. And I feel like also as an actor, I don't meet a lot of actors that can vibe like the, like with this kind of music. That was you my know, next question, because I was yeah. going to say with your issues with trust, I have those issues where, you know, I'm working at these labels and I see these people and I'm like, they could just work they could be selling shoes like they don't care but then a, <laughs> like a band will walk by and see like i have a coheed and cambria plaque when mm -hmm. offices existed back in 2019 um and a band would walk by and see that and be like oh <laughs> they're like oh you hey, like cool. music you know and yeah. you could instantly connect or if someone said they liked fugazi we're good have you found that you said you so it was it was harder to find in that other career where finding those folks at least knew about it or even experienced it? Yeah, well, I've, I've always connected. I mean, I'm a, I've been told that I'm a musician with an acting problem. So for, for me, <laughs> music is my life. It's what I eat, sleep, and shit. And uh, it's just how I connect and how I feel connected. Um, so I always try to connect on music and I always find common ground because like I said, I, I pride myself in, in loving all genres mm -hmm. equally. And um, so I'll, I'll always be able to find something. And, and what I love most of all is being able to recommend stuff. That's the record store geek in me. You know, right. I, always, I always want to be able to leave someone with something they haven't heard that they might really dig. That they, Afterwards, I can just imagine them sitting there listening to it with their mind blown. Or thinking, he's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> um, well, no, it's so funny you mentioned Stay Inside because I, I had the bass player from Seisha reach out to me and say, Tom, have you heard the Stay Inside record? Today. No way. Uh, yeah. and, it's a great and I, record. It and really I said, is. oh, that's really awesome. You're into it. You know, let me tell Chris. And it's just, that's that, like you said, that record store, it's almost like you're permeating these things out to people and they'll somehow connect with each other. Yeah. I completely believe that. And I mean, for me on set, I, 
there have been times where, like, I just finished working on a show called Project Blue Book, which is about the whole UFO uh, investigations run by the Air Force in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And you may be familiar with with all that, but um, it was a killer show. It was me and Aiden Gillen as the two leads. Um, I'm the Air Force dude who's running the program, and he's the astrophysicist, J. Allen Hynek, who um, we enlist to help debunk these, these uh, sightings, as it were. And um, Aiden has fantastic taste in music, and he used to actually do some... He did some stuff on a music show. He's, he's been very involved in the music scene. And we connected immediately through music. You know, bands like The Fall, Echo and the Bunny Men, that whole thing. I mean, he's he's well up to his UK British um, music trivia. And um, I find that it just, it's such a deeper connection. It's like you said, you see, so like, oh, you're into Fugazi, we can hang. I, yeah. I, already, I already know that I'm probably going to like you. Right, <laughs> that you've dug enough to find that, or you've at least heard thirteen songs or or repeater, and we can you can start digging about you know something else, or we find another common, or even the way that they are, you know, open minded, or you know, into the at least there's that again with my trust issues, <laughs> it's just like it kind of if you say that word, I'm gonna bring down a wall. I'll be like, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> totally. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. No, it still, I mean, it brings me joy when I see someone with a, an older dude, especially, or, or, or girl with uh, with a band t-shirt on of some, something where you're like, fuck yeah. Yeah. They live. <laughs> they I mean, live still. I still probably, when, when, when people would see each other within less than six feet, I remember being at malls <clears> or something and there'd be a kid with like, you know, like a Green Day shirt. And like, it wasn't the Hot Topic one. It was like an older one. I'd be like, nice shirt, kid. You know, and he yeah, give you the thumbs yeah. up. The parents look at you weird, but I'm like, I want to like support that because like he, he, I don't know. It's like a, like I want to cheerlead it. Totally. I mean, I'm all about that as well. Like I see, I see a rad little kid doing his thing. You know, I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. And it's 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 important, you know, because I feel like everybody needs encouragement to dare to be themselves. You know, right. to fully let themselves be themselves. And when they're that age, they're trying things out. They're trying ha- different hats on. They're t- trying on different bands to see what feels right. And I think sometimes it's our job, actually, as the older, <laughs> the older generation, <laughs> to, to help them be the fucking wonderful people they are and free-minded and not closed off. You know, the, the enemy is separatism. It's not anything other than that. It's the, it's elitism, right. in my opinion. You know, I think, and I think this is the issue that I uh, dealt with, and we all did in a way. Was the whole elitist nature of music, and drove me out of music for a while. Really, just the, the bullshit, where you're like, man, I don't want. It. It's just like everything else. 
you know, you're trying to escape that thing and you find it almost everywhere you run. And then there comes a time when you just need to stand, face the music and go, it is what it is. I'll take it and I'll be a punching bag and I will just keep doing what I do because I like it and I'm doing it for me and I want to share it with y'all and whoever wants to listen, it's there. I love that because it actually goes to my next question because I think putting yourself out there and like that kid with the Green Day shirt or you finding someone and supporting them or even being in a band, that's putting yourself out there for ridicule or, you know, the backlash of things that it isn't once a month in a zine that uh, they might yell. Um, It might be 24 seven on social media. Um, How have, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize it. I remember a few years ago, I said something, you know, of my opinion and I just thought no one listened. And I realized that all these people did, it was written up in articles and it was quoted. And I was like, a friend of mine was like, Tom, people are listening. And I just didn't realize it. And I, I guess for you as your career and life um, became more in public was, were you aware of that and um, something that you've thought about? It's, it's really a tough one because I've, I've gone through phases where I very much didn't want to piss people off that I wanted to just get more work to not be problematic. And now I just don't give a flying fuck. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't feel like that way in an aggressive way. I don't feel like that way in a desire to be confrontational way. I just feel like, what the fuck is this world if I can't speak my mind, you know? And I've said things, I've spoken out of turn here and there, but I've always returned and reacted with dignity, with honesty. Oops, I didn't know I couldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. And I think I've always felt like that's my shield you know is is just look i'm just being honest sue me (laughs) you know you can't you can't cancel somebody unless they've canceled themselves and i think there's all these people running around with this like witch hunt mentality and look uh, there's there's a fine line and a gray area here right Mm -hmm. and i think people are refusing to explore gray area anymore it's so black and white and i'm not talking about the, the race thing at all Right. But um, just black and white as far as, you know, ideas. And it's like, look, you can do this, but also be that. It's like we are hypocrites. You know, we're born hypocrites, yin and yang. We carry the light and the dark and we have to have both. And I feel like it's this right now we're we're dealing with this gradual slipping away of that. And people are realizing, hang on. So we're all the villains here. Mm hmm. and I don't mean villain. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. And and it's it's just such a, a weird time to to be online. A yeah. Weird time to be online. And I think the unfortunate underbelly of this is that a lot of people are taking all this stuff so heavily and so seriously in these comments. And I, the thing is, with my social media, and I go through phases with it. Um. I strive to be slightly off kilter, to keep people thinking, to keep them guessing, to, you know, try to keep people giggling. And I try to keep a balance of all that. And it's become, you know, my reason to do that is to remind people 
of what I'm not saying, <laughs> um, but saying underneath is that, look, let's just be, let's create, let's connect, and let's not always have to be pulling out the massive elephants in the room and forcing them to dance around in their underwear. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's a bit obtuse, my, my imagery there, but um, no, yeah, no, I've I I just that. gotten it's... fed up with it over the years. And now I'm like, I'm just going to say what I feel. If I feel passionate about something, if I want to support something, I'll just say it. I don't give a fuck about anything, you know. And I just, wanna, I just want more people to be like that so we know where people stand. I'm, right. I'm fed up with people just hiding and pussyfooting around and like, you know, I mean, that's in a way why I'm like, okay, good. Get these son of a bitches talking racist so we know who they are. Right. So, so we know who they are. No, and I mean, that way we can we can all kind of create our, you know, if we need to create different societies that don't mm -hmm. include assholes, then so be it. <laughs> well, it's like this, you know, in, in Instagram is so, you know, your tailored life. And when you talk yeah. to them on the phone, you're like, you know, I talked to a friend. I'm like, oh, dude, how's it going? It looks sick. You're on the beach. And he's like, no. Uh, the dog, you know, shit all over the carpet. Uh, my kid got, you know, suspended. Like you just get into this story yeah. and you're like, Oh yeah. shit. And it's just this, I constantly remind myself, give people the benefit of the doubt and try and, you know, it's just trying to take it too seriously. And, um, it, it it's, I just, that I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for the negativity back. Mm, mm. Well, it sends you some crazy energy into your brain, man. And through your body, courses through you, this adrenaline, right? W yeah. When you start getting messages like that. And just like anything in life, um, it's not about what you do. It's about how you react. And it's about learning to channel that energy either into doing something or not. That's the only choice you ever have to make in any given moment. Do I do this or do I not? It's really it funny you say that because I have crazy anger issues. And yeah. I today something angered me and instead of lashing out i said no i'm gonna edit another podcast mm. and it was mm -hmm. literally today that i like was able to not flip out and just do that and it's i don't know i guess i i i don't know i wasn't expecting the, that negativity and i think on a bigger scale you know i wanted your you know thoughts on like when you were in these bigger roles and bigger things happening like does it feel like a bigger wave or is it the same thing if it was one comment on absolute punk, you know, that made fun mm. of your band? Is it, is it the same or is it different for you? Hmm. Is that a I weird think, question? No, it's not. I'm just, I'm considering it. I, th I mean, it's, it's, it's the same at, at its core, you know, it's having to deal with the same thing. But the different thing is when you are, I suppose, competing on a global scale and I, I don't mean the word competing but when you're pe people know you internationally then that stuff just spreads like wildfire even if it's false and so half of the anxiety that um when i did feel anxious about this kind of shit um it was about wanting to stop something that was just going and going and have you have no control over so it's watching something spill out of control and you trying to do damage control which starts making it worse and it just becomes a whole mess and you know they tell you like look just leave it it'll go away after a while and it's true i mean that's right. usually the, the wise thing to do 
but with stuff lately where I've kind of put my foot in it, I've just decided I'm going to head on address the issue calmly mm -hmm. and say, hey, this is not what I meant. You obviously think it's that. This is what it is. And then I'm going to end the discussion here. Just for my own sanity, just at least having explained myself if necessary. Right. Otherwise, I just let it go. You know, I take, you know, I always say, and this was a quote from, I think, who is it? some famous old dame of the theater. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Marlene Dietrich, maybe. Um, I take, or Catherine Hepburn, probably. I take uh, criticism and praise and I throw them in the same waste bin. <laughs> right, because you can get drunk on either. Absolutely. And I, I was definitely on that other side of it too. You know, I believe my own hype. I was, I had my head up my own ass a bit. I f feel like I, looking back, I was running around being a prick, you know? I mean, w cause I, there was a time in my life where I just never had, I didn't have to think about money and the, really? the problems that I encountered with that were just, you know, you, well, you can imagine, right. I mean, I, I challenge anyone. I challenge anyone. <laughs> to to not fall into similar pitfalls but uh you know you have to have some kind of thing bring you shattering down to earth sooner or later it's just gravity and i i'm always thankful of of the times in my life where i've i've hit those walls or come crashing down to earth or been forced down and um there who you know that's that's when i've grown stronger right and i mean that's to a, be honest i cannot i cannot connect with people who don't have some kind of trauma in their life anymore like if you ain't been through some shit I, like i have nothing to say to you right you know live a little first then i'll tell you and we can talk about talk about what happened <laughs> right but you're totally right like when you make mistakes you're learning from those and then the next time you teach someone or you learn it um uh, one of those, you know, those first big ones is, you know, moving away from home and being somewhere else. Um, what was like that like for you moving, you know, across the pond? Yeah. So I grew up in a country town of 4,000 people village and <laughs> that's definitely I'm, a village. It's a village. <laughs> I'm a villager. And I moved after I started up with Shadyside, I moved to Dayton and lived there for a bit. And that's a bigger city, but nothing like London. So I went from Dayton to London. I got into a play. It's a long story. I won't, I won't bore you with that one, but um, it basically changed horses, you know, mm -hmm. found what I was looking for. I got a lot of critical acclaim locally for the role. And it just basically snowballed into me um, going to drama school in London. Wow. And, um, you know, got into the school, quit the band and, um, never looked back. And, um, it was a big adjustment. You know, I, I had a guitar with me. I was starting drama school. I wrote several albums worth of material while I was there Wow! and started playing out again while I was there. Um, just solo. So I kind of learned how to play guitar through being in the band, just wanting to at least be able to add to the songwriting process. Because they were writing like a song a year, you know, there's, a, there's ounces of weed being smoked and not, not many <laughs> songs being written. But, um, you know, that's, that was our vibe. 
but I, I've, I always felt really stressed that I couldn't, you know, ex- exacerbate things, you know, like make, make things happen quicker. And, um, that was why I wanted to play guitar. So anyway, I, I started writing my own stuff around the time I was in the band and in London, finished drama school. And I, I start doing a couple open mics here and there. I meet this guy, Danny, who works in a pub with me, who was doing stuff with like Mashi Mashi Records, Razor Light, and some people in the UK. And I knew he was into the music scene um, in London. And I just gave him a few of the records I'd written. And um, after a while, he was like, dude, you've given me like five full lengths worth of material. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, just leave me with this for now. <laughs> and um, he finally ends up listening and he's like, dude, we got to get you doing some more stuff. And um, so he ended up like sticking me on a couple shows, just being the opener opener and getting me to come out more and play open mics. He really believed in me and he's still my manager. Wow. Um, and we've we're just he's my best one of my best buddies and it's always just been me and him you know a completely independent organization and m- most of my inspiration or, or at least artistically in the way I do business has been from my punk rock screamo roots and like you know for for instance um, you know, having control and complete ideas about the artwork. I'm handwriting all the lyrics, you know, doing stuff in the way that I appreciated back in the day. And um, so for me, I've always felt like, even though my music's a little different, that I'm still carrying that torch in my heart because it's how I was brought up. I love that. I mean, yeah. again, the, you're keeping that through, you know, your your career of doing the you know, finding someone like that to connect with there too must have felt um, easier to cope. I've always needed that, you know, um, up until this point. Um, now I've got my family, I've got two kids, and now I'm I'm just like, I'm, I'm I, I, you know, I just need a fucking room to sit in and I'll make stuff, you know, if I have yeah. that, that time. But that time is of the essence nowadays. Um, but yeah, I, I've always needed a partner in crime, you know, someone to shoot ideas off of. I I just have too many otherwise, and I get overwhelmed by them. I need someone to be like, dude, tell me which two songs of these I need to do, <laughs> please. Because <laughs> wow. your songs are like your little kittens, you know, you can't kill your kittens. You can't say who's going to be on the chopping block, right? Right. No, no, it's hard. You need, yeah, you need someone else to say this is that this is where you're going. Um, yeah. Um, I just, I love the the like the music influencing the the acting sort of subconsciously and or the, your thought process around it. Um, have you thought about that? That it or further about just sort of it sort of guiding you in certain decisions, good or bad, as we've talked about. Certain things mm. go. Have you thought about that, that it's sort of um, still with you, even in a different career? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've... Uh, I don't know how to put it, really. Let me, let me think how to phrase that. Such, it's just more of a feeling than anything of solidarity. Um, 
And I, I suppose I've always felt something different that I have that maybe others don't, and that strength in music and the culture and the scene I grew up in. It feels like a real warm backbone. And um, I don't know how else to put it, but I've always felt secure in the fact that I can always put my headphones on and dive back into that. And I, I look around the room in like a casting, for instance, and I'm like, none of these motherfuckers is listening to this shit. Right. <laughs> it's my thing. And I don't, it's not a selfish thing. I don't know. I don't know. How, you know, you know what I mean. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you, you do this website and... Um, there's a real passion I see uh, with with the work that you've done, which which is cool, and, and it makes me feel like there's other people that feel like this is actually something more than just a phase of music or a style. It, right. It that, was. It came out of something pol politically, socioeconomically. It, it's something that's ingrained within us if we grew up with it, in a way that goes beyond what's on those records, and I think that's. That's the fascinating through line that I'm getting from from what you're doing too. That's exactly the point. Yeah, someone hearing it isn't thinking of a white belt um, or tight pants or fuse or something. It's the it's that this genre has been around for a long time and still is around. It didn't just come back because My Chemical Romance played L.A. It's mm. always been here. I have no problem with those bands. I have no problem with that era. They're friends. A lot of people I've worked with when I was at Equal Vision Records. I mean, I worked with a ton of those bands. There, I get it. It just it, that's not it. And the mm -hmm. knowing that there's these other artists and that's I wanted this to be a place that someone could go to. And yeah, you like Taking Back Sunday? Cool, go check that out. But have you heard Sasha? You know, have yeah. you heard what Adam listens to? Um, and getting deeper, it seems. Um, and I'm glad that you picked up on that. I wanted to know, how did you even find it? You know what? I don't even know. I honestly randomly, don't know. you were just like I, following I randomly, it one day? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know. I go on these weird, you know, following sprees of related things when I see, oh, this looks interesting. Yeah, I'll check out what that's... I mean, my I follow like 2,000-some accounts. It's mostly music, mostly bands, mostly um, music uh, critics and journalists mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff because that's what I want to see in my news, you know? Right. And um, it, was, it was... I just I think I just randomly followed you. Or I saw... It must have been because I saw you interview someone where I was like, what the fuck? Was it at, was it Alex from Hoover? No, I can't remember because oh, okay. I, I, I followed you a while ago. I mean, it, it must have been someone like Mineral or, oh, or Chris Planes Simpson. Mistaken for Stars or something. I can't right. remember, but something where it it was off kilter just enough where I'm like, okay, okay, <laughs> all right, I want to know more. You're gonna love the next like 15 episodes because it's all these old school cats that I, they've come out of the woodwork. Um, that have seen other, you know. Oh, okay, I saw you interviewed Gee. Here's my number. Mm. You know, like <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, they're turning up. <laughs> they're turning they want out. Their pound of flesh. And they're all bored at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to talk. I want to talk about your music. Well, that's another thing that I was gonna say is like this whole scene. It, w it wasn't about branding. You know, and I think that's the thing where you're talking Hot Topic and all that. Those bands have capitalized on the branding nature of a scene. And yeah, great. You make your money. That's fine. And, uh, you know, I have no fucking harsh words right. for that shit anymore. 
selling out is just making money. You know, right. there's nothing wrong with making money. All right. <laughs> and I, I, I basically like I remember going to these shows and seeing bands, you know, opening who had created their own sleeves out of cardboard. You know, they had stamps. Stamping yeah. was a huge thing. There was like a mini zine in there. And they're obviously making this stuff themselves. They're barely selling any. But you can tell that they give a fuck, you know. And they're not, it's not about, the brand is the fact that they care about what they do. You know, that's the brand, as far right. as I'm concerned. And, and, and that, that is contagious. Well, I that. joked about that. I was working at Equal Vision, and I remember this time where the opening band became bigger than the headliner. Mm. And they were both on the, we were, they were on the same label. They were same on our label. And I remember being like, oh my God, like all these kids are leaving after the first band. And it just had this sort of like switch where they just, they were better marketers. Mm. Like the opening band had a better MySpace page. <laughs> they had a better, yeah. you know, artwork. They had a better video. And I just was like, that's off. Mm. It kind of switched like where, uh, you know, a, a band CD that I might've got might've had an address. Then I had an email that was AOL and then maybe there was a website, but it wasn't like, and then it was just like, oh, wow, they actually figured this out. Well, this is and, a really important conversation because it's something I think we all care deeply about is how do you keep the artists in art? Yeah. You know, and, um, I'm struggling with this at the moment. And I think we all are is because we're, we are being forced into submission by big corporations telling us how we're going to make money doing, right. doing art. And it used to not matter when we didn't have kids, when we could couch surf, when we could, you know, do whatever the fuck. Um, but now we are, we are really at the mercy of, you know, like paint, paint, God damn it paint as if your life depended on it and it's just not good for for art to feel that a disrespect for what you do the devaluing of art you know i mean they're pumping all this money into sports and shit and and you know great you can all get drunk at the sports match and shout about the teams that are getting paid more than your entire family right combined. And, and the artists are here telling the truth about what's going on in the world and no one really wants to listen. And it's, it's just, it's just, we have to keep doing it in the face of that adversity. The world needs art. It needs artists. It needs ones that aren't good at branding and marketing who are just being honest. And, um, so you said you've struggled with that. Well, just, I'm struggling thinking about it. Yeah. You know, and, um, but yeah, because obviously I could have done a lot more with branding for my stuff, getting on certain spots, Vampire Diaries, actors, making a record, blah, blah, blah. But I fought tooth and nail to just keep everything the way I wanted it to grow um, and just making kind of tasteful choices as far as that goes. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want just, I don't want fame. I want people to connect with my shit, you know? Right. And I want, I, I don't, I feel like people don't understand that difference a lot of the time in big money music. They don't understand, you know, like, you know, a follower is a follower. It's like, well, no, <laughs> well, I've always trusted my gut. And right. it's something that's, that's, that I know now, especially that I can always depend on. 
I mean, I had some moments where I've had to do a hard no on something just because of my gut and my agents are going, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, one time is it has to do with music actually. So I played Elvis in the West end on, Mm -hmm. on the London stage in the original London company of million dollar quartet show about cash, uh, Elvis, Carl Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis at sun records. And, um, this is around when I started doing the open mics too, because I was like, "Oh shit, actually, I could I could play all right. I can play in front of a thousand people every night uh, in a theater. I could probably do a club of you know fifty people. It should be cool. Um, not the same thing, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Playing yourself and pretending to be Elvis are two different things. Um, yeah. So after the Elvis gig, um, all these people in musical theaters wanted to see me for lead roles. Because, oh, straight guy in musical theater, fuck yeah. <laughs> and um, so uh, basically I started going to these and it was just hard and weird and having to reach a lot and sing these strange parts and having to stand here, do a dance thing. And I'm just like, what the hell am I doing, right? I don't want to be doing this. And so I basically just told my agents, I was like, look, just tell everybody no. I'm, I, I want to go up for dramas. I want to go up for screen and just turn down everything that's musical theater. And it wasn't because I don't like music, obviously, to the contrary, but I felt like music was always my alternative to my acting world. And when they started merging, I found very difficult for some reason you know and nowadays i think i'd be able to handle it a bit more but i've always appreciated having that as my thing i go to um it's my comfort security my own controlled artistic environment you know and um so basically i just said no and then pretty soon after that i started booking all these interesting roles started working in tv and it was the right choice but it was a uh, definitely a no that was snubbed at by my team at the time wow so like everybody wants you though well, you're crazy dude and i didn't work for about a year after that wow and but. feeling that like feeling that year what was that was it were you doubting yourself or you or did your gut still say you're doing the right thing michael uh I just was, I mean, I was probably just on drugs. <laughs> just doing the math. Right. <laughs> I was, I was, I was working in London. I was living it up. You know, I was with, with my, my wife. We're very early into our relationship and it was good times. And, um, I, you know, I feel like it's important to take breaks from things. And I, I consider actors we're we're kind of sprinters. And we bust our ass for several months at a time. And then you need the break. Right. You need to take the time off. And after a million dollar quartet, it was a year run, you know, doing wow. six, seven shows a week. And um, it's a long time to be doing that and putting your body through that. So, you know, I probably just needed a break as well. And musical theaters, it's a very muscular thing. You have to be fit, you know. And, you know, we were doing a rock and roll jukebox show where it's wow. a play, a play, but in real time. And so 
we're drinking and smoking and whatever, you know. But this, the minute I started having to get into these rooms for musical theater, I was like, this is just, this is not my vibe. I come from the school of rock and roll. Uh, I don't need lemongrass or wheatgrass or whatever. I just, some, some fucking whiskey would be great. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you live and learn, right? You know, you look back and laugh. What about you know your 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 latest record, Grave Racer, that 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 you like or making this? Um, I know you've said that you know it's your release and this is the difference, but going deeper into it, um, what has been so rewarding about it um, for you? Well, so this particular record was was a tough one to make, not because of anything other than logistics so i we had my firstborn was three four years old three years old something like that my wife was pregnant and my firstborn also has adhd Mm -hmm. so we have our work cut out for us we'll just say and i basically um just committed to being a full-on carer and stay-home dad for for a long time at the mercy of getting this record done. So before before all this, rewind to the summer before, I was in Puerto Rico shooting a series called The Oath for Crackle. And um, I, I wrote the record there in the Caribe Hotel Hilton right in San Juan and one other hotel. And, um, fuck, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it's a dark, it's a dark journey. I mean, I was dealing with some pretty severe depression and, uh, various other things. And the record is basically an account of going through that and, um, rekindling what I had at home after straying away. I mean, that's the honest truth about it. I'll keep it in those poetic terms. <laughs> but um, I love that. But that's that's it. You know, it was it was me racing against the grave, I suppose. And see, you know, you there comes a time when you're forced to look in the mirror and you see who you are becoming, what's been going on, and you're just disgusted or whatever. And you're like, "Fuck, how do I get out of here?" And I suppose the whole metaphor for it, really, it's like it's it's this dude in this snow globe on this island in Puerto Rico, you know, and uh, completely isolated, Mm -hmm. railing against the gods, hurricanes coming through. And I think the, the big metaphor for me that was Art Imitates Life is like actual hurricanes were coming through the island. We had to be evacuated by two, for, for two hurricanes during the shoot. And um, I was just a nervous wreck because of what was going on in my personal life at the same time. It was all culminating. <laughs> wow. The winds at sea, the winds at home, everything was happening at once. And I was literally ready to die. And I felt like, you know, if this is it, I, I better stock up the fridge with some water and hunker down and get ready. And um, you really thought that? I did, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, having gone through all that, and I'm, I'm even downplaying it, man. There's some, maybe years later I'll talk about everything, but I don't think, every, I don't think the world's ready. Um, <laughs> neither am I. 
Um, but everything is, has, has, it, it happens for, it doesn't happen for a reason, but you look back and you see the path and you understand. And I think that's why what people mean when they say everything happens for a reason. It's because you will one day understand. That's the reason. And um, I'm just thankful to be here, to be able to look back on the events that inspired Grave Racer and um, have lived to have told the tale and got it on tape. <laughs> right. And, uh, I, you know, it's an empowering record to me when I put that on because it's broken but at the end of it, you know, it ends with the lines, um, bleed out the color and fade it away. They've got the blues, but we've got the grays. And it's almost like taking ownership of that grayness, the depression or the darkness in you and standing up with it and going, no, you know what, it's me. And I think that is so emo. <laughs> it totally is welcome to the podcast and, and i think you know that's like i like i told you my music may sound different but it's that energy of standing up and owning that dark darker nature and and wrestling with it openly and not being afraid of being pulled down at all because you know it's good because right. you feel it and I've always felt strong in that. Like, if I know it's good, I'm not worried about how anybody else is going to interpret it because I trust myself and I trust my journey, you know, what's brought me here. So preparing as an artist versus an actor, what, what, what are the differences? Remembering lyrics, remembering lines? <laughs> yeah, um, for me, for, for acting, it's um, so much of the prep happens alone you know i'm 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 researching if it's a role that's based in his history especially you're you're doing a lot of research based on the time period and um attitudes and culture um and throughout like with blue book there was such a wealth of information about the ufo phenomenon and i restricted right. myself to stuff that i would have known at the time which was t tricky i mean one of the tricky parts of playing something in history is like well you can learn about it in retrospect but it's very different than that being it, there it being there and existing in the world that doesn't know the ins and outs of what's happening here um which i find fascinating you know i mean the, one of the reasons i'm drawn to acting is why i'm drawn to people i suppose and um understanding the human condition what makes people do what they do and um for me music i mean the the prep is it's also very isolated i suppose i mean i've been ever since i left the band very solo ops you know grave racer almost everything you hear in that record i wrote um, minus, you know, bass lines on a few songs, minus exact drum things, and um, obviously not the strings, but, you know, I was sitting in that hotel with my keyboard, with my guitar, fucking with sounds, and um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I got to this point now. I mean, I'm literally working through it as we're talking, thinking about it, um, where I'm kind of really into collaborating a bit more. Mm -hmm. and wanting to uh have different input you know i could i could put out another few records right now no sweat i have the songs but i don't want to you know i want to work 
on something organic and from scratch and do it a little different because that's what keeps me going, I suppose, keeps me interested. I mean, that kind of brings me to, I know I'm straying, but... Um, You're not. It brings me to the song I just released with No Sleep Records on their comp, the Christmas comp. So Chris hit me up and was like, hey, you want to do a song on our Christmas comp? And I was like, hell yeah. And, uh, you know, they're a great label. And um, uh, so I, I hit up a couple of my old music buddies back in Dayton and was like, yo, can you throw something together in a week? And I'll just, I'm just going to sing over top of it. And um, my buddy Chris, Chris N, um, got back to me with this tune, which was like a droney, very emo-y kind of thing. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I can work with this. And um, just got into the garage, had a couple hours, just screamed my head off, and um, we put it on the record, which was, which was a cool moment. But it made me want to dip back into heavier music and using my old school vocal range. And so this year coming up, we're going to do some stuff together. I've contacted my, well, my old band and I, we still are on a WhatsApp chain and send each other ridiculous things, as everybody does. <laughs> and um, we're going to put some songs together too. I mean, it's, it's, it's been this whole snowball effect of me wanting to dive back into heavier music. Because, you know, my buddy Chris, he's, he's, he's like me. He's got kids. He's in lockdown. He's got fuck all to do. He needs something inspiring to keep him going and to keep his real life good. And, you, you know, we need it. People like us, we need, we need that kind of side, side thing going that's, that, that, that doesn't have to do with business and branding. Right. However it works. I appreciate the time. Hope you have a good rest of your night. And, uh... Thanks, brother. You too.